Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. My name is Tony Tucci, and uh, I have the pleasure and honor of teaching you, uh, teaching with you this morning, along with my dad. So the way it's going to work is this: we're, we're going through Acts, as you know, and we've been the, the attempt has been to put some character around the people that we see in Acts. So we studied Stephen, and last week we covered Philip. Today we're going to get introduced to, in more depth, who the man Saul is, who later becomes Paul. Okay, and so we're going through Acts 9. How many of you, let me ask you, how many of you have been reading through Acts throughout the week, in addition to, you know, what you hear this morning? Anybody? Raise your hand. Good? I really, that's good. I encourage you, throughout the week, be studying, so you know we're in Acts 9 this week, so next we'll, we'll likely be in Acts 10. It's kind of funny how that works. So, And the following week, we'd likely be in Acts 11. So you should get ahead of us a little bit and read along so that when we're delivering the word or when Tim most likely is teaching, once you've already been studying it and soaking in it and praying about it, when you come on Sunday morning then, you might hear a fresh word Right, but you might hear something that gets reinforced, or there might be something that you're like, man, I don't really know what that means, and then it might get unpacked on Sunday morning. It might make sense to you a little bit more. So I really encourage you, get, a, get ahead of the curve here and start reading through Acts throughout the week so that you know where we're headed. So today, we're going to talk about Saul, who becomes Paul. Saul, as you know, um, or Paul, rather, is a major player in the New Testament, right? So this is where we get introduced to his conversion. So the way this is going to work today is I'm going to preach through Acts to about verse uh, 15, and then I'm going to hand off the baton to my pops, and he's going to come up, and he's going to finish it out for us, okay? Are you guys with us? All right, so I'm going to, I'm going to open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the ability to come worship you uh, with the gathered saints Uh, your family. We're privileged and honored to do that. We thank you for your presence. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to be here, uh, illuminating the words from your scripture, uh, speaking to our hearts. I ask that you would convict where conviction is appropriate. I ask that you would encourage, Lord, uh, those who need encouragement and need to hear a word of encouragement from you. I ask this in Jesus' name. I ask that you would speak boldly, and I pray that we each would hear from you today as we open your words. So I ask that it wouldn't be my words that would be heard, but it would be your words that penetrate. And I pray also for my dad, and thank you for the great honor to be able to co-teach with my dad. Lord, I pray that that would come through in a way where your body can be blessed and you can be honored. We pray this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we talked about Philip, and um, because Tim's not here, I want to I mention something that Tim didn't mention last week that I thought was just awesome, okay? So at the end of Acts 8, okay, at the end of Acts 8, we see that, Phil, that Philip baptizes the eunuch, right, in verse 39. So um, something, awesome is that, something awesome happens here that I, I, think it's worth, I think it's worth noting, okay? So um, Acts 8, if you, were, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back online and listen to it online, all the messages are up there. But I just want to mention this before we go in because I think it's really great. So um, Acts 8, 39, and when they came out, up out of the water, so Philip baptizes the eunuch, right? When he comes up out of the water, came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. 
and went on his way rejoicing. Hold on a second, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so we can, I don't want to just breeze by that. God is up to something. He's doing something. He's building his church, right? The church is getting persecuted. People are getting taken out of their homes and taken off. Stephen just got stoned for his faith, for, for, for proclaiming Jesus. Philip gets, Philip gets told to go speak to this eunuch, and he goes down, and the eunuch doesn't know what, what, what he's reading. Philip speaks to him, and they say, hey, we should get baptized. He said, yeah, you should. We should get baptized. Then, when he comes up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and he saw him no more, and he's just gone. He vanishes. That doesn't happen in normal day life outside of the power of the Holy Spirit about what God's up to. That's amazing. And then the next verse, verse 40. But Philip found himself at Atos, at, I'm sorry, at Azotos, and he passed through preaching the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He just found himself there. So God just plucks him, boom, you're going to get on with your work. Here's the point. God's going to build his church. He's going to use us, but he's going to build his church. He's going to do whatever he wants, however he wants, to accomplish his mission. Oh, man, and we get to get used for it. That's exciting. That's a fun story. So that one's for free. It has nothing to do with what we're going on. But I wanted you guys to know that because I don't want to just blaze over it. All right? Okay. So then the tone takes a serious, serious shift. Verse 9. Let's dive into this. Paul, I'm ready. I'm ready putzing around now. Okay. So Acts 1. I'm going to read through this. Um, you know what? Let's do it. Stand up. Stand with me. We'll get your blood moving. We want to honor the word here, all right? So let's read. I'm going to read all through it, and then I'll stop and go through it, okay? So Acts 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and, mur and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground. I'm having a hard time reading. It's too small. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And the Lord said, and, and, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at that house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for he, behold, is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings of the children of Israel. Okay, you can take a seat. That's a mouthful. 
So we see a lot going on here. This is a major, major occurrence that happens in the book of Acts. Major shift that happens in the whole New Testament is that Saul, who was breathing out murderous threats against the church. Here's, the, here's an interesting point, okay? So Stephen gets martyred, right? The church starts to scatter. We see Philip. Philip's like, oh man, they're coming after me. I'm going to go home and sit down and do nothing. Nope. He's like, oh, they're coming after Stephen. They're coming after other people. I'm going to keep on preaching. I'm going to keep going out throughout the, throughout the territory. And they scatter, right? So the church is scattering not out of fear and not out of, and not out of with the, you know, like crouched down like this. They're moving around. They're like, hey, we're going to keep preaching the word of Jesus. We're going to keep preaching the name of Christ. We're going to see the church get built up, right? And so Paul's like, uh-uh. I was here, now I'm going to keep going after you. I'm coming at you. It's not, he's not content just to sit around and get the people who are local. He's like, I'm going to go after you. So he gets, he gets rolling. He grabs his crew of people, and he's going to Damascus with the mission to terrorize the church, plucking men and women, boom, out of the house, right? They're on the street, comes up. This is, this is an intense moment for the church. So... This guy is clearly an enemy of God. He hates the church. He is going out of his way. He's pulling in his capital with his friends, right? He's going to get letters to say, hey, I, got a, I need a list. I need your permission. Sign off on this. Just give me free reign to go get these guys. And they're like, okay. So he's using his clout, his political and religious clout, to get after the church. And he's getting it done. So he's, he's packed, he's ready to roll, and he has authority to go do what he wants to do, which is destroy the church. So he's running, he's going, right? Now, here we have Saul, who's got his crew with him, going to attack the church. What is God's plan for him? He's got a different plan. While Paul is breathing out murderous threats, evil intentions to destroy the church, what does it say? What does, what is, what's God's plan for him? He wants to use him. So we see this happen. Saul comes and he gets blinded by this light, right? I mean, the name of our church is Damascus Road. This is what we're talking about, right? This is what all, all comes out of it. Saul gets blinded by the light and it says, Jesus, the man Jesus speaks to him and says, Paul, in verse four, why are you persecuting me? Is Paul persecuting, who's he coming after? Who's he coming after? Who's, who's Saul coming after? He's coming after the church. What, is, what does Jesus say to him? Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? That's powerful. I don't think that can get overlooked. God loves his church. He has great affection for his people and his disciples. If someone were to come after my kids, I'd be like, what are you doing to me? Look what you're doing to me. You think you're going to touch one of my kids? That's what God's saying. Hey, why are you persecuting me? He takes it personal. Why does he take it personal? Because he cares for and loves his people. He cares for and loves the disciples. He cares for and loves the church. This is the church that he died for. I don't think this can get minimized because the church can get beat up sometimes. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Can't do that. You can't do that. You can't. Jesus loves the church. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Lord? Notice that? Lord? Yeah, you, that's the right answer, Saul. That is the right answer while you're sitting there. Lord? You know? So God calls him out. 
brings him, blinds him. He's humiliated. Now, this is Paul. This guy's got marching orders to go do what he wants to do and get after the church. The people that are with him, they don't see anybody, right? They just hear him say, what, Lord, huh? They don't see anything. They're like, we don't know what's wrong with this guy, but we better toe the line. Otherwise, he'll probably, who knows what he'll do to us. We've seen what he's done to other people. So they go to where God leads them, right? In the meantime, in the meantime, God is calling out another disciple, Ananias, right? So God calls out to Ananias while this is happening and says, hey, I got a plan for you. I got a plan for you. You need to go talk to, you need to go talk to this man Saul. Here's another point that can't get missed, that can't get missed. When, when God calls out to Ananias, what is his response? He says, Ananias, what does he say? Here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. That phrase should be familiar to you. Who else has said that in the history of Scripture? Isaiah. Isaiah. Who else? Moses, right? Jacob, Abraham. Here I am. He is a disciple of Christ, and he is listening. He's listening. Here's the point. God is speaking to the church. God is speaking to his disciples, Ananias, and Ananias is what? Listening, and he's ready to respond. Okay, so I think for us, the church, we, if you call yourself a believer in Christ, you're a disciple of Christ. So here's the point. When God speaks, you need to be listening. You need to be in a position where you can hear God when he speaks. And you need to respond with what? Here I am. Here I am. So God gives him marching orders. Does he like them? Does not like them. Hey, there's this guy... I don't know if you've heard of him. He hates you, and he hates everyone that you're with. He's coming after you, but I want you to go talk to him. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. And Ananias says, I think what I would have done, be like, hey, don't you, I've heard a lot of things about this guy, and he doesn't like you, you know? But Paul, but Paul has, or God has a different plan for him. Verse 15, he says to him, he gives him his plan. To Ananias, after Ananias says, "Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and that he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who carry your name." So again, Ananias says the right thing. He says he hates you. He has authority to do whatever he wants to people who call on your name. Are you sure you want me? Are you sure you're talking about the same guy? Which here's the thing. That's a fair point. What did I just say? God is speaking to you a disciple, we need to be in a position to listen to him. And what does Ananias do? He says, here I am. But then he speaks boldly, right? He speaks back, says, wait a second. So I think that's all right. I like that. I like that Ananias says, hold on a second. I'm ready to go, but whoa, are you sure? So I think that's okay. And I want to encourage you in that. Sometimes when we can hear like the great saints and we hear what they do and I was called to go do this and I went and did it and I didn't think twice about it. No, man, he thinks twice about it. On his own, do you think he would have done it? No way. But because he had communion with the Father, he had communion with God, he was in relationship with God, he was in communication with him, he was listening, responding, conversing, and God says, heard your point, I got a different plan though, okay? I like that. I was encouraged by that. Okay? So then he says, God says to Ananias in verse 15, but the Lord said to him, almost as if he was like, I hear you. However, I got another plan. I got another plan. Go, 
for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry out my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Go, and then we'll read my, my not yet, hold on. My dad will teach in a second about the rest of it, but I want to make a few more points. So he says, to, so God says to Ananias, here's the deal, here's my plan. I've already seen Saul. I already know what he's doing. I know that he has been hurting my family and hurting the church. And he's been breathing out murderous threats. He knows that. Paul, if you remember, when was the last time we saw Paul? He was at the execution of Stephen. And he approved it. Okay? So Paul is familiar with what's going on. The last time we heard about him, Saul, he was at the execution and he approved it. Tim taught on how horrible of a process it is for someone to get stoned, right? Where they run them off a hill, they fall so they can't get up, and then they lob rocks on them until they die. Paul saw that and was like, yep, that's exactly what should be happening, right? And Jesus meets him, and God gives him a different plan and says, listen, I got a plan for this guy. He's in chosen Instrument. So here's the point. Here's the point. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you think you've done. God wants to use you. Okay? He wants to call you and use you for his glory, for his namesake. Okay? So before I give it up to my, my dad, here's the two points that I get out of this. God's love for the church. The great lengths he's willing to go to to say, you're persecuting me? This is personal. No way. Not in my house, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the way you're headed. I'm going to change where you're going because I care about my church and I want to see it built up. And I died for her and she will get built up. And guess what? Not only am I not going to like, he doesn't do what Paul had coming to him, does he? What could he have done? Boom, he just took Philip, plucked him out of the water and he arrived in a different city. Do you think God could have said to Paul, you know what, pal, not only are you not going to Damascus to do that, I'm going to blind you and I'm going to kill you. I mean, isn't that a reasonable response? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kill you. No, but he loves his church and he loves his people and he wants to use them. So he calls out to Paul. He calls out to Ananias. Ananias hears and responds. So God loves his church. He cares for his church. He wants to use us. He's speaking to us. Okay? Are we listening? Are we listening and is our response, here am I? Are we saying, oh, well, I can't do that because I used to hate the church and I used to say all this stuff about the church and I thought I'd never set foot in the church and if I did, you know what I mean, all that kind of stuff. Well, guess what? Your excuses and your reasons and the reasons that you have are nothing compared to what Saul had, right? God still chose to use him and he wants you to know that he loves you deeply and he wants to use you and that he's speaking to you and that he cares about you. Amen. All right, my turn's up. All right, Pops. So I love, uh, I feel honored to be able to teach with my dad. And um, I like when we get to tag team. So you ready, Pops? Yeah. It's a privilege to be here. And I just want to ask you a question. Is it okay to have a favorite book of the Bible? What would you say? Yeah. I, I, thank you. My favorite book of the Bible is Acts. I love the book of Acts because it's the Acts of the Holy Ghost. It's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, but if you look at it more intricately, you'll see it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
Two other reasons why I like it. It's a book full of prayer. People pray all the time in the book of Acts. And when they pray in the book of Acts, things happen. And there's another thing. If you ever read this as a whole, you'll see in the book of Acts, there's more angelic visitations than any other book in the Bible. In the book of Acts. That's just, like Tony said, that's a freebie. I'll give you that one for nothing. But it's a privilege to be here. And Damascus Road is a great church. I love the vision that they have. I love uh, the people. And I know that you guys are very, very, very interested in small groups. And that's a good thing. How many have ever had or ever heard the term, I had a Damascus Road conversion? Anyone ever hear that? Mr. Sprandy? Who else? One person. A couple people. And that's an awesome thing because in a Damascus Road conversion, you're going south and the Lord wants you to go north. But I want to bring something to mind here. In verse 16, let's look at where Tony left off. He tells Ananias, he says in verse 16, For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, if you were signing up to be involved in ministry and the Lord so, showed that to you, I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. How many of us would have signed on a dotted line? Not too many. Not too many at all. But that's what was up with Paul. He was going to be shown how much he had to suffer for his name's sake. No one wants to suffer. You know, a lot of times you get into conversations with people about the end times. You know, all the eschatology that's going on, you know, the, the blood moons and all that stuff. That's fine. But the fact of the matter is, God's got everything under his control. And, and as long as we know what the word says, as long as we stay close to him, we can stay in step with him and it doesn't matter what's going to happen. But Paul, <clears throat> right off the bat, his marching orders was, he is going to suffer for my name's sake. That's a tall order. Listen to what he writes later to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. He says, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's what he tells his understudy, Timothy. Get ready. Be ready to preach in season and out of season. Be, make sure you have sound doctrine. But also, suffer hardships with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You know, once we become Christians, whether we believe it or not, we are in a battle. And you have to be close to the captain of your salvation, if you will, to understand what the battle is and to be able to have victory over the battle. You know, it was interesting today, Beth was talking about that, about how, how Satan wants to use accusing words against us. Hello, this is going to happen until the, the, the day Jesus Christ comes back. Do you know that? So we need to know that we're soldiers. We've become soldiers when we gave our lives to the Lord. And it says in, in 2 Timothy, in, in the first chapter, it says, no soldier, no soldier bothers with everyday occurrences in his life, but he is there to please the one who's enlisted him. So if we know that we're soldiers, if we know that, that we have something for us, just like Paul, he suffered. He was going to suffer. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Hopefully it's going up behind me. He says to Timothy, persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconia, and at Lystra 
what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's not a real popular message today. Am I right or wrong? But this is what the word said. All those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. So what that means, I'm not sure, to be honest with you here in America. I have no idea what that's going to mean. Maybe in a few years coming up, we, we might know. But we need to be prepared. Paul signed up on the dotted line. Show him how much I'm, he must suffer for my name's sake. It's not popular. No one likes to hear it. But it's biblical. I just came back from Cuba <clears throat> three weeks ago. I was in Cuba for one week. It's my second visit to Cuba. You want to talk about persecution? It's incredible what the Cuban church is going through right now. <clears throat> I was in Havana in 2009, <clears throat> and I ended up in a town with some friends from Mexico <clears throat> in a town called Montanza, which is about 90 miles east of Havana. But when we got there, our agenda was already made out. We were programmed to go to this church, to that church, to, yeah, thank you, to this church, and, and we, had a, we had a great time. One second. So we're, we're in Cuba. And I know what the circumstances are there because I was there once before. They still have ration books. They get a bag of beans, a bag of rice, and if there's any chicken left over, they give them that every 15 days. That's all they have. When we were in the middle, we were in a town called Hovayanos. Okay, now I don't want to bore you with this, but I think you'll understand what I'm getting in here. And in this town, it was the center of Santeria. Has anyone ever heard the term Santeria? Santeria is an Afro-Cuban witchcraft that are, is practiced in Cuba. We were in the middle of it. But I want to tell you something. We were in churches that praise God like you wouldn't believe. They don't care anymore. Even though they're suffering economically, spiritually, they are so alive. They are so alive because they know who they are in Christ. I'd be preaching sometimes and I'd say, greater is he that is in you. And the congregation then would voice back to me, greater is he that is in you than he is of the world. They know their Bibles incredibly, incredibly well. But my point is this. They are suffering. 90 miles from our shore, they are suffering. It's like going back into a time warp. They're suffering, but they don't care. They don't care what the government says to them anymore. They don't care what the system, the political system they're in. They just don't care. They praise God. And I think they probably know these verses that we're going over today. But I was blessed. Look at verse 17. It says, And Ananias departed and entered the house after laying his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now there's a subject you can get a lot of miles out on me. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you something right now, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And that tense is be being filled. It means be filled all the time for the work that I have cut out for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and it's interesting because in order to be involved in ministry, we need that. We need to be filled. And I say this all the time, and you probably haven't heard this, so I can get away saying it again. D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was a great pioneer of being filled with the Holy Spirit, although you wouldn't know that now down at Moody Bible Institute. But I will tell you one thing. D.L. Moody, he was asked, why do you preach about this all the time? Why are you always preaching about the filling of the Holy Spirit? And he said, that's because I leak. I leak. Doesn't that make sense? I leak every day. But it's so important. I think it's such an important tenet right now that we're looking at here, the conversion of Paul, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit at the outset. He received his sight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he was baptized. Isn't that interesting? Usually we do that the opposite. We get people baptized and then we start talking about other deeper things. That's A.W. Tozer used to say that all the time. The deeper things of God. But really when it comes right down to it, Christianity is very simple. It's very simple. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's probably not one person in this auditorium that knows that that's a hymn. You do. Okay. Great. There's four or five. Okay. But that's what it's all about. And look at Luke chapter 24. I just want to put this up here because when Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit, he was receiving the promise of the Father. And I want to tell you, after this, look at this verse. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Six times in the book of Acts, the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit is there. So Luke is trying to get a point across here. The best message I ever heard on Luke chapter 24, verse 49, was by Charles Stanley. Charles Stanley's a good preacher. Charles Stanley's a Baptist. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm saying, he gave a, such a powerful message about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the point that he made was, don't do a thing until you empower, you are empowered with the Spirit of God. That you're clothed with the Spirit of God. Sometimes we do things half-cocked. We're not waiting for anything. We got our plan and, you know, it's amazing. You know, we just go ahead and we're not waiting for that promise. And I tell you, without it, we don't get much done in ministry. You know, I'm not going to be here next week, so I can get away with a lot of stuff here today. <laughs> you know, and I know Tim, he wouldn't be mad at me at all. But the fact of the matter is, is that we need to understand that Paul, in the beginning, he knew he was going to suffer, and he knew that tribulations and all these things were going to come at him. And if you stopped and you thought about, well, he really deserved it for all the things that he did for Christians. I don't think so. That's not the way God works. That's not how he works. Look at verse 20. It says, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. It's amazing that a persecutor of the Jews began to preach. It says here immediately. This is what Luke records. Then it says in verse 21, And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who call us on this name 
and who had come here for a purpose of bringing him bound before the chief priest. Verse 22 says, but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding, confounding excuse me, the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the, is the Christ. And it's very interesting here because we're going to look at a couple passages in the book of Galatians. Because Paul talks about, in the first chapter of the book of Galatians, his own account of the Damascus Road conversion. And it's different than, he, than, than what Luke is saying. What I'm trying to tell you here, what we're going to read in Galatians, you can probably put in between verse 20 and verse 21, chronologically, if you will. Okay, look at this. It says, Paul kept increasing in strength, and he was able to confound those who heard. Listen to this. In Galatians chapter 1. Verse 15 through 18. But when God, this is Paul speaking, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. So if you take his account and you transpose it in between verses in 20 and 21, chronologically you can get what's going on here. Because it says in Galatians that Paul did not consult anyone. But he stayed in Arabia in the desert for three years. Who was he with? He was with Jesus for three years. The apostles, the disciples, they were with Jesus for three years when Jesus walked this earth. Paul, in the same way, it's just kind of, kind of interesting how similar this is. Paul spent three years in the desert in Arabia. That's what the word, that's what he says. And he came back and then began to be used mightily by God. But the point here is that in order to be equipped by God, there's the five-fold ministry, it says in Ephesians chapter 4. In order for the equipping of the saints to happen, there has to be something that precedes it, and that is intimacy with the Lord. Paul had three years, three years with the Lord in, in, in a desert, and he consulted no one. So here he was with the Lord for three years, learning from the Lord each and every day. There's no substitute for intimacy with the Lord. I know it's hard sometimes. You know, for me as a man, it took me a long time to get this, to be alone with God. You know, Matthew 6 says, when you go and pray, shut the door, and, and, and you and your father will you spend time together, and he will reveal the secrets of his heart. For me, that was hard to understand that. You know, I had a great father, you know, but I never had intimacy. So I'd, it was really hard for me to capture the fact that I needed to be intimate with the Lord. But one thing is for sure, Jesus would slip away often to go to have communion with his father. Jesus always gives us the example in scripture, always. And so if you struggle with intimacy, you just have to ask the Lord, Lord, open up my heart. I didn't, you know, I have a son that lives in Kansas City, okay? And I went down to Kansas City a couple times and, you know, I didn't understand this whole IHOP thing, okay? I, I just didn't. I just didn't get it, you know, I mean, but I went there, and I loved it. I just loved it, being, and being, you know, I, I talk a lot, you know, 
The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But the fact of the matter is for me to sit quiet and not talk to anyone, when I was in Cuba, the Cuban people are the most friendliest people in the universe. I was down and we had our last day in Havana and we walked through old Havana and people would stop me because I wore a baseball hat. They love baseball. And so I just had a tremendous time. So that was, that's my mold, that's my MO, is just talking to people. But I went to Kansas City and I sat there in that prayer room and I got it. Sit down, be quiet, and let God speak to you. And I got it. And, you know, from, I can't say that I have times of intimacy every day. But I do know one thing, it's necessary. Paul had it for three years. And, you know, you can go on the rest of this chapter, you know, it goes on to, you know, to verse 43. But the main heart of this thing is that Paul was, was called to suffer. We as Christians, we are called to suffer. To what extent everyone has their own particular area. But we're called to suffer and we're, we're also called to be victorious. If there's no victory, what's the point? Again, I'm going back to Cuba again because I'm still, I mean, I was just so touched. We went to church. It was called the Church of Alabanzas, which means praise. So all they did was pray. I mean, if you did, I, I told, I got up to the pulpit. You know what my, my pulpit was? Two conga drums. Big, big conga drums. So I put my Bible on the conga drums and I go, you know what? I didn't have rhythm when I, when I came in here, but I guarantee you what? I got rhythm now. Because they praise God like you wouldn't believe. And, they're, and they love the Lord. And it doesn't matter to them what's coming their way. Just that they know how to live in their circumstances. I was so blown away. They invited me to come back next year. A pastor came up to me and said, you're coming back here next year. And I really had a hard time in the airport. This is the second time I had really a hard time in the airport. And I said, I'll come back if you come with me to the airport and help me get in. But he says, you're coming back next year. Because what we need here in, in, in this town, we need people who can understand and help people break strongholds. We need deliverance here in our, in our town. And I said, I'll come anytime. But my point again is this. Paul wants us, or the word of God wants us to understand that we need to be equipped and we need to... You know, Tony said two things. I didn't, I didn't talk to him at all what he was going to talk about today. He said he wanted to bring home two things. That's what I want to do. Bring home two things. Number one, be prepared for all those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted. And number two, actually it's three. Number two, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And number three, cultivate an intimacy with the Lord. That's what I got out of, out of Acts and that's, wait till you see Acts chapter 10, there's an Italian in there. Cornelius was an Italian. <laughs> Wish I could be here for that. But let's stand, let's pray. And what we're going to do, we're going to be in the back. If anybody needs any prayer, for example, if you're struggling with intimacy with the Lord, we'll pray with you. If there's something, in, if you have a physical problem and you, you want healing, we're going to pray for you. If there's anything that you, that, that, that you feel you know, that, that you need. We want to offer that for you today, the prayer team and myself. So God, we thank you for tonight, for today. We thank you, God, that you're a good God and you love us. I thank you, God, for the Damascus Road conversion that Paul had. I ask God that we can learn from this, that we can learn what this actually means to pursue you
in a godly way. And like was said today by Tony, God has his eye on every one of us. So here we are, Lord, send us for wherever you want us to go. And God, I ask in Jesus' name that your power would guide us in all that we do and we say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.